As Chip mentioned, we are reading through the passages of, of the life of Christ. We've entitled it the Jesus Passages. And if you have not been reading with us, we invite you to join us. And we have five readings for seven days, which means you get two days off. <laughs> okay? And, uh, but the idea is that as we read through the life of Christ, we also will be preaching different messages. And this week we're in John chapter 8, next week in John chapter 9. And it's interesting, Jesus has gone to the Feast of Tabernacles and he meets a group of people who believe in him. And he's asking them, you know, do you really believe in me? Because they have expressed faith, but he's saying, is that faith really genuine? And it raises a very basic question, I think, that probably uh, people ask themselves personally and of other people. Who really is a true believer in Jesus Christ? Who is a true believer? This past week, there was an abortion doctor killed, uh, Dr. Uh, Tiller in Kansas. Um, he was, it's, it's a, you know, how, how, how could, only God can make sense of this. Here is a man who's in a church and another man who claims to be a Christian <laughs> comes up and shoots him in church and kills him. You follow me? Now, who is a Christian? <laughs> I mean, is it the guy who's aborting babies? Is it the guy who's murdering another person in church? I mean, aren't you glad there's a God in heaven who can only make these decisions about who goes to heaven and who doesn't get to go to heaven? Because, you know, we really struggle with that. And, and you look at issues like that, and then you look in society in general. I mean, uh, um, uh, you know, I was watching a, the Leno show one night years ago, and they had this girl up there, and she had this massive cross around her neck. And I thought, well, you know, maybe this movie star is a Christian. And as I turned turned up the volume, listened to what she was saying, she was bragging about the best kind of sex to have, and to her, the best sex is in the back seat of a car. And I thought, here's the topic of conversation: wearing a massive cross. I mean, like this thing was like five or six inches big, letting everybody know that you know she's wearing a cross, and that yeah, that's the topic of conversation. And I'm sure the unbelieving world looks at that and says, "Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian?" Watch Madonna. I mean, you hardly ever see a picture of Madonna on the stage without a cross hanging around her neck. And the world looks at us. I remember doing a told one of the first brand new cars ever bought, I was told to go down here and buy it from this Christian sales guy. And I was warned, now here's how you buy a new car, is you ask for a turnkey price. Turnkey means I'm going to turn the key and drive off. So what everything is going to cost, what is the bottom line? And I and I learned to ask that question. My first new car purchase. And I go in there and I get the best turnkey price. I go to other dealerships and I price and I come back and says, you're the best price. I'll buy it for that price from you on a turnkey basis. So he takes my car, he trades it, he sells it to a wholesaler. And I come in to pick up my new car that day. And the price is almost $400 more than the turnkey price. And I said, sir, that's not the price. He says, no, no, that's the deal. That's the, that's the way it's done. That's how it's done. And I got home and I realized, <laughs> I'll go to church with that guy, but I will never do business with him again. <laughs> you follow me? And you ask yourself, who really is a Christian in this world? And then you look in the mirror sometimes, or maybe you put your head on the pillow at night, and you say, am I a believer? Do my prayers get past the clouds in the sky? Does God really know that I exist? Does he really care about me? I remember when I was 13 years of age, I was thinking thoughts like that. And I thought, am I really a Christian? I mean, I was raised in churches like this, and I knew the Bible since I was a, before I even knew I knew. And yet at age 13, I wondered, do I really know, am I really a true believer in Jesus Christ? And I got out of my bed, I couldn't take it any longer, and I just busted into my parents' bedroom to let them know my fears and to be reassured of my faith in Christ. 
Jesus, in this episode, he's nearing the end of his career. He's gone to Jerusalem for the last time. And he's met a group of Jews who, the Bible says, are believers in him. His response is, are you really a believer in me? Do you really have faith in me? Are you really my disciple? And he is going to teach them how to be his disciple. And here's what he says. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And my friends, if there's, if there's any unsettledness in your heart about your status with the God of heaven, I have an answer for you. That answer only comes from knowing the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ and what he says and what you do with that truth. And that truth can give you a peace that passeth understanding that helps you know exactly what God demands, what God wants out of a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at this episode in Acts, in, excuse me, in John chapter 8, I want you to think of yourself. Think of yourself. Am I a believer? But secondly, think of maybe family members or friends and ask yourself, have I been coasting with them? Do they really have a clear understanding of what the God of heaven deeply desires for them? Well, the passage under question today or under study is in in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we looked in our communion this morning at verse 12 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then in verse 31, he says this, and look what he says here. Unfortunately, in this passage, he helps us define uh, what being a follower is. To the Jews who believed him... Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say then we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. It's interesting, here in verse 31, Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews, it says, who what? Believed in him. And what is the response that he gives to them? He says, he says, if you hold to my teaching, what? You are really my disciples. You are really my disciples. And so the test, the definition that Jesus here gives these people who have claimed to put their faith in him, he says, if you really are one of my followers, here's the test. And the test is, you will obey. In fact, the word he uses here, you will hold, you will grasp onto my teaching. Now, does this mean that we have to know all the teachings of the Bible and everything that God has commanded and to obey it to really become one of his followers? No, I think what he's saying is that the intent of my life is to know the God of heaven, to know what he has said, and then with my being to seek to obey him and to do what he says. I don't get to heaven by obeying God's law. I only get to heaven by putting my faith in Jesus Christ. But I think what Jesus is saying to these Jewish people is this, is that the test that you have really put your faith in me is that you have a desire in your heart to take the word of God and to obey it to follow me. Because if we recognize that God is the creator, that God is the savior, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, if we really believe that, then the, the response is to say, if that's who you are and I am your creation and I am your servant, then I want to humbly submit and obey who you are 
and take the words of God seriously in changing my life. Now, does that sound pretty reasonable? If God is God and we are humans to obey what he says? Hmm? Then the logical question is, why do we not? Well, it's because we have a choice. And what is the choice? The choice is twofold. The first part of the choice is, is human pressures and traditions. In verse 33, they hear this. What's their immediate response? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? You know, if you go down to verse 37, they said, Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room in your life for my words. Jesus says, you guys say you believe in me. You claim to be loyal to Abraham and yet you're ready to kill me. How can you believe in me if you're ready to kill me? You see this, 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 this contrast that Jesus is bringing out of these people? And I think what he is exposing in these dear folks is that they are blindly loyal to Abraham at the expense of God and Jesus Christ. They are loyal to the traditions and pressures of their community, their culture, their religious traditions at the expense of even Jesus Christ who speaks to them. Now, 2,000 years later, we look back and say, that was dumb. (laughs) Why would anyone do something like that? And yet in reality, I don't know about you, but I find myself, uh, I I find myself steeping into my culture and uh, I find it's easy to, to talk as a Christian. I find it's easy to show up as a Christian. I find it's easy to play the games that Christians play. You follow me? Uh, give my nod, go to church, throw a few bucks in the offering plate, and maybe uh, bow my head in a restaurant. I can play the game. But is it flowing out of a heart that says there's a God in heaven, or is it the pressures of the Christian culture upon my life? And my friends, I've discovered, if you look at all the statistics that are happening in the world today regarding the good news, evangelicalism, the Bible, and God, the statistics are going south. They're not going in the right direction as far as God is concerned. And I think part of the reason is, is we have bought into a Christian culture. We have bought into human traditions and pressures instead of saying, God, I want to make an impact. I want my life to be so different that it's like a magnet that people that don't know you see me and through me want to know the God who created me and the God who died on the cross for me. And my friends, we have created a Christianity where lives don't have to be changed. Our life doesn't have to be changed. And the, the, the invitation to those to follow Christ doesn't have to be changed because the pressure is there. I learned this in a fishing boat. I was out with my dad fishing. And my dad was a pastor for three years in his career. Then he spent the rest of his life in Christian education. And we were talking, and uh, I asked him about how he pastored a church and what he did. And I was trying to sort of glean some of his wisdom through the years. And he said that they used to have a vacation Bible school. And during the vacation Bible school, the oldest age was grade six, sixth grade. And so he would invite the sixth graders one by one to go under this live oak tree in the parking lot of this church. And one-on-one, he would have a conversation with each one of those sixth graders about their soul. Have you ever made a commitment to Christ? You know, where are you spiritually? And just because a child came out of a Christian home, it didn't mean that they knew God, <laughs> that they'd ask Christ to forgive them. And so child after child, my dad would talk to, and then he, those that didn't know Christ, he tried to lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ as their Savior. And I thought to myself, when does that ever happen in our church? 
I was pastoring in Canada at the time, and we had a large Sunday school. And I thought, when do children, they come into class, but when do they get a one-on-one conversation about their heart, about the God of heaven? And so we developed what we called a camp ministry. And it's amazing, that camp ministry grew into 10 weeks of summer camp for children. And the purpose of the camp ministry was for a counselor to spend one-on-one with every child that attended. And the program was built so that every child would have an opportunity to have someone talk to them about their soul. And I thought to myself, even as a pastor, even in church work, it's easy to let the layers and layers and layers of tradition and pressures of other people get upon you that you forget the basic stuff. And the basic stuff is where does this person stand before the God of heaven who created them and the Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to save them from their sins? And my friends, I think today we have to ask ourselves as we look at these dear Jewish people, is have we allowed layers of tradition and religiosity, Christianity, to get in the way of knowing the God of heaven so that we truly make an impact upon the lives of other people. Well, if traditions and human pressures make us do that, what's, what's the other choice? The other choice is God's word. Because what did Jesus say in this passage? He says, he says, if you hold to my teaching, if you grasp my teaching, what does, what does it mean to hold the, the teaching of Jesus Christ? Well, I've got a verse I'm going to put on the screen here from James chapter 1 and verse 25. And look at the power. This is that famous passage where James says, don't be a hearer, but be a doer of God's word. And it says this. He says, but the man who looks intently. And the word there, intently, actually is a word that, in the Greek that means to bend down. You're walking along the street, and you see something green, and you think, oh, a $100 bill, <laughs> right? And you bend over to see what that green thing is. And here is a person who is reading the Scriptures, and they see something that stands out, and they bend over to intently look at it. He says, but the man who looks intently into the what? The perfect law. I love that description of the Bible. The perfect law that gives what? Freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and continues to do it, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, what will be the result? This person will be blessed in what he does. God promises blessing to us, not from the pressures of other people, not from the forms of Christianity. He promises us blessing by hearing the Word of God, bending over and saying, God, how does that apply to my life? Man, that's a clear teaching. What does that say about my mouth? What does it say about my fears? What does it say about my anger or my jealousy or my resentment? And God, how can I take the Word of God and allow it to transform and to change me today? You see, I think that's what he means by holding on to God's truth. Then when God speaks, I want to listen. When God speaks, I want to hear what it has to say. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents. Obey. The word comes from a little Greek word, akuo, from which we get acoustics. And the picture is hearing the parent, hearing the one who's giving you the instructions. And obedience means to listen to what God has to say and say, God, by your grace, I want to do exactly what you want me to do. Now, I don't think God expects perfection from us. Only Jesus was perfect, right? But Peter said in the last verse of Second Peter chapter 3, he says, but what? Grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, who stubbed his toe most spiritually in the Bible of all the disciples? (laughs) Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Who denied him? Who spoke up at the wrong time? Who cut off the soldier's ear with a sword? I mean, I mean, who, when he went up to Galatia, ate the barbecue pork sandwiches and then called them barbecue pork beef later when the Jewish people came up? I mean, who was this guy? It was Peter. And what are the last words he writes? But grow. <laughs> Mature. Get better at it. At growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the application? The application is very simple, is take time to know God's Word. My friends, if the test, the mark of a true disciple, a true follower, a true believer in Jesus Christ is someone who holds on to His Word, then man, i got to take time to know exactly what He says. That's why we give you a little bit of a Bible reading program. Some of you do something else on your own. That's great. But we want to help you get into the Scriptures to know what who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. We have journals on the back back table that say $10. Take one for free and start using it if you'll use it, okay? And the goal of the journal is just to get us knowing what God says. So if we know what it says, then we can hold on to it. One of the scariest passages in the Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this verse, Jesus says uh, these words. And look at the, on the screen and watch this. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I read that verse and I think, well, he's talking about TV preachers. <laughs> he's talking about miracle workers. He's talking about these guys who use the, use the gospel to make do re me. But he says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, look at the language here, Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do we know the will of his Father, of the Father? Huh? Through the Word, through the Scriptures, by obeying what the Word of God has to say. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You knew me. <laughs> you knew me, but I didn't know you. Away from me, what, you evildoers. See the contrast between evildoers and those who do the will of the Father? Every time you take the Word of God and you implement it in your life, you take a passage of Scripture about jealousy and you allow it to deal with the jealousy in your heart. When you take a passage of Scripture that talks about the misuse of your tongue and you apply it to your heart, not only is it helping you physically and spiritually, but it's also confirming to you that you're holding on to God's truth and that you are a child of God. Let me give you one more passage of Scripture from 1 Samuel. I've been reading through 1 Samuel, my own personal Bible reading. And here's an example of Saul. Saul was given the kingdom, head and shoulders above everyone else. But finally, he has blown it so many times that text tells us two times that God is grieved in his heart that he ever gave the kingdom to Saul. And says this, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As much as what? In obeying the voice of the Lord. In fact, he says here, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance, which is disobedience, like the evil of idolatry. 
Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, what? He has rejected you. Why does God reject people? Why did God reject Saul? Because he blatantly demonstrated his heart by his consistent, open disobedience to what God has to say. Every time Saul disobeyed the word of God, it was a step of alienation from the God of heaven and earth. My friends, you see the point? What Jesus is trying to say, what God said through Samuel, that the Christian life is not really difficult. There's not some kind of secret out there that we've got to discover to the victorious Christian life. The only thing that we have to do is to realize that there is a God. He has revealed himself to us, and therefore we need to listen and to do what he says in every aspect of our lives. When our son was a little guy, we were down in South Alabama, a place called Camp Victory. Have any of you ever been to Camp Victory? <laughs> okay. And I was speaking to a bunch of teenagers as the camp speaker that week, and Susie was there, and we had Greg, and and uh, they had a little canoe pond where you could take out a canoe, and Greg was afraid of the water, and there was no way he would get into the canoe. And all week we tried to get Greg to get in the canoe, and he just refused. He was probably five or six. I forget how old he was. Finally, uh, finally, uh, I came in from speaking to the kids that morning, and Susie turned to me and winked and says, says, Daddy, let's go for a canoe ride. And I thought, <laughs> Greg's not going to get in the canoe. And so we started walking down to the, to the little pond there, and Susie said, Greg, tell Daddy the verse you learned today in the cabin. And when I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. When I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. And he was walking slowly, a little bit hesitantly, but he repeated that verse out onto the dock, into the canoe, and the rest of the week we couldn't get him out of the boat. Mm -hmm. I learned a valuable lesson from my little child that week, that the Word of God, if I will listen to it, if I will practice it, it will change me. My friends, and every time you see God do that change, there's a voice that whispers in your ear, you're one of mine. <laughs> you're my child because you're holding on to the truth. That's why Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's why, secondly, look at the great results as we wind it up here. What are the results of knowing the truth? Well, he says, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. Now, what does he mean here, it'll set you free? Well, if you look at verse 33, they're thinking of politics. They say, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone at all. Uh, but Jesus says in verse 34, that's not the, the point. He says, I tell you the truth, again, everyone who sins is what? A slave to sin. You see, their hatred for the Romans, their hatred for what was happening in the lives of other people was so strong, they refused to see the sin in their own life. You know, the Romans were idiots, so therefore we must be good. The Romans are bad, you know, therefore we must be honoring of God. And so they couldn't see past their own nose to see their own sin in their lives. And Jesus wants them to know that really not only are they in sin, but they are a slave to sin. If you look at this, you know, freedom, there are two choices. The first choice he gives us here is to be a slave. 
In verse 33, they say, well, we've never been, we're sons of Abraham. We've been slaves to no one. Is that true? Have the Jewish people ever been slaves? <laughs> right? What about 400 years in Egypt? What about the Assyrian captivity? What about the Babylonian captivity? What about right now as Jesus speaks this? Who's dominating the city of Jerusalem? It's the Romans. Like, I mean, they have been slaves. <laughs> they have been slaves. And so here they have very short memories of their past politically as a nation, but even of their own sin. And that's why Jesus says in verse 34, he says, he says, uh, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is what? A slave to sin. I love the language Jesus uses here. He says, I tell you the truth. You know, I tell you the truth. He says, I'm, you know, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the truth is, is because you have not obeyed my truth, you have, through sin, which is a violation of God's truth, become a slave. And so in reality, they are slaves, not just to the Roman occupation, but they really are slaves to themselves and to Satan because of the sin that they've allowed to get in their lives. Now, they think highly of themselves because Jesus says in verse 35, he says, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. They are just as a slave might be adopted into a family and might have two or three years of benefits of that family, but then one day they might be sold to another family. And all of a sudden the blessings from that family that are temporary are taken away from them. And here, for some reason, we can look at the slavery that we have to sin, and it seems okay. Nobody's been hurt. Uh, nothing, no judgment is coming upon me because of my sin. But Jesus says, this kind of slavery is only temporary, and you are not a permanent child of God. My friends, have you ever seen how sin enslaves us? What sin would enslave us? Um, Girl Scout cookies. Uh, I bought some boxes, and I led my wife to believe that I bought two, and really I bought three. And I hid that extra box of cookies after I opened them up on top of the kitchen cabinets where she's not tall enough to look. And whenever I wanted a Girl Scout cookie that I wanted, I would wait till she was gone or another part of the house, and I would go up and get a cookie and, and enjoy it and put the box back up there out of sight. One day I got up there to get the box of cookies, and the cookies were all gone. <laughs> And someone had stuffed old crumpled newspapers in the place where the cookies used to be. <laughs> and Susie did something she maybe only does 20 years. She got up there and cleaned it. <laughs> and she found my, my enslavement. <laughs> and she took my cookies away from me. But you know, that was only uh, a very temporary joy, wasn't it, of enjoying the cookies. I mean, think of someone who steals a car. How do you steal a car? Man, you got to hide it. You got to go out and change the license plates. When the police are looking for a red, uh, you know, Pontiac convertible, you've got to make sure that that, that you got to change the color of it. You follow me? Maybe go to another state. Does stealing a car give you freedom, or does it really enslave you? Hmm? It really enslaves us. I bumped into a lady the other day, and and I thought, you know, I've known you for a long time. And her mouth was very fast, and her mouth was very negative. And as I heard her talk, I thought to myself, 
<laughs> You've been like that as long as I've ever known you. And in fact, you have been a slave to that behavior. Jesus says, if you take that behavior and you modify it by the truth of his word, you experience freedom from that slavery to that sin. That's why the second option here, instead of being a slave, he says, you can be a son. Look at verse 35. He says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son does what? He belongs to that family forever. So if the son sets you free in verse 36, you will be free indeed. My friends, would you rather be a slave to sin or would you rather be a son of God? Hmm? Would you rather be a child of God, a son or a daughter of the one who created you? And he says the way to enjoy all the rights and privileges that God has intended for you is not to live as a slave to sin, but to live as someone who has been blessed in relationship as a son or a daughter of the God of heaven and earth. Do you think God wants to celebrate you? Think just in the Bible how God has celebrated his son. Remember he was born? (laughs) Pour out the angels. Glory to God in the highest. (laughs) You know? And on earth, peace, goodwill to all men. He wanted everyone to know that his son was being born. I mean, the father loves his son. The day of his baptism. (laughs) The You know, the voice comes from heaven. Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he says to you. And then the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes and lands upon Jesus Christ himself. Do you think God is pumped about his son? What about the transfiguration? It's the same thing. He allows Christ to be revealed in all of his glory. And then the voice of heaven speaks. This is my son. Listen to what he says to you. And then even, even on the cross, darkness comes about noon to let the whole world know you violated my son. He's dying for what you have done. Sin is being dealt with. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. My friends, every time you read the newspaper and you see stuff that's going on in the Middle East, you see world events, and you read the Bible, you know that God loves his son and God wants to celebrate his son just as God wants to celebrate you. Hmm? I hope you had a good father. I had a great father. He's in heaven now, but he was a great father. And what does a father do? Oh, he does a lot. He coaches you. He teaches you. He rebukes you. Last Sunday, Susan and I were out in the west end of town, and we drove by Rickwood Field. You ever been to Rickwood Field and watch a baseball game? A great little plaque out there I took a picture of on my cell phone. Uh, Babe Ruth used to play at Rickwood, play, has played at Rickwood Field. I never knew that. Oh, I thought that was great. I remember being there with my, with my brothers and my dad for, for a Barons baseball game. And something happened, and all of a sudden the stands started booing because the call was against the Birmingham Barons. And, of course, my brothers and I, we started booing too, right? And my dad elbowed us. And he says, Gannets, don't boo. And I thought to myself, a father loves you. He wants to correct you. A father wants to enjoy you. I had my dad come speak for us up in Canada, and we were outdoors in his tent for a little summer program we had, and I had him give a little devotional. And we had a lady that was visiting that night, a young lady, and she came up and to my dad and says, you got the same name as our pastor does. Uh, are you his brother? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd never heard the last of that one until he died. <laughs> he enjoyed that. Do you think God wants to enjoy some humor and fun with us? Of course he does, because we are his children. My dad went to Oklahoma one time when I was in high school. Came back and said, I picked out your wife for you. You know, come on, get a life, Dad. <laughs> and he brought Susie to Southeastern Bible College. And when we started dating, he started saying, well, Dad, son, I sure know how to pick them, don't I? I said, Dad, you made the down payment. I make the monthly payments. Well, <laughs> I thought, you know, a father loves his son so much, he even says, you know, here's a woman that would be great for my son. You see, what does a father want? He wants us to listen. To listen to what he has to say. And don't enslave ourselves to disobedience, but to listen to the fact that he has the good stuff for us and that he wants only the best, and that's why he tells us how to live. What's the application? The application is to live like a son and not a slave. It's to live like someone that has this wonderful relationship with God and not a slave to sin but to recognize that I have a Father in heaven who loves me so much. He told me everything I need to know, and I just have to obey what he says. I remember when I was trying to decide which graduate school to go to, and I went to one of my college professors, and I said, what school would you recommend? What seminary would you recommend? He said, I'd recommend any place but Dallas Theological Seminary. That's where I ended up going to school. And the reason he said that, I learned later, was that he was involved in the doctoral program there, and they didn't accept his dissertation. And so he never graduated with his degree. And from that day until the day I asked that question, there was a bitterness in that man's heart. You know, I learned that when I saw that man, I saw him in a different perspective. As I looked at the schools, I, God allowed me to go to Dallas Seminary. That's where I wanted to go. <laughs> But in a sense, I was telling him, I'm refusing to allow you to make me a slave to your bitterness because I'm not a slave. I'm a son, and I want to live like a son of my heavenly father. Yesterday, I went to the nursing home to talk to my mother and to tell her that one of her best friends had died that morning, yesterday morning. She died up in Ottawa, Canada. She was my dad's first secretary when my dad was the president of a college. Isabel Rourke was her name. She'd fallen and broken her hip, and that turned in. They put her on pain medication. She never recovered from that. And it was good because she was ready to go home be with the Lord. And, and as the nurse was there, the, the attendant was there in the room with us, and I was telling this story, and she said, there, she said, you know, there are a lot of people in this place that are afraid of, that that might happen to them. They're afraid that they might fall and that they might die. And when she left, my mother didn't talk about fear. She said, I wonder what your dad and Isabel are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you following? What's going on in heaven? What, who are they meeting? What are they experiencing? And she said, I wish I was there with them. My friends, if you know the truth, the truth sets us free. We're no longer slaves to fear, and slaves to jealousy, slaves to bitterness or the pressures of other people, because we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father who loves us more than we ever dreamed. And my friends, today when you leave our gathering, 
You have the opportunity to leave as a slave or to leave as a child of God. Are you going to be in bondage or are you going to enjoy all the freedom that God gives to you and to those who love him? Do you get it? What did Jesus want us to understand? If you know the truth, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You know, I believe that there are a lot of people that we can impact with our lives. There are family members who probably are coasting through. And I wonder if all the people in our life that we've met who have believed have really believed. I would never put myself in the place of God, but I wonder about some people that I've met. Have they really believed? Because the evidence of my belief is that I have a desire to hold on to the truth of God. And if I willingly live a life of disobedience, if I willingly flaunt the will and the laws of God, just because I prayed a prayer, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? And I look at all the family members I have, children and grandchildren that are coming. I look at neighbors that I want to influence for the cause of Christ. I look at people that I meet in the restaurants where I go that know me on a regular basis. How can I get them past a prayer to a life of holding on to God's truth? The only way I can do it is to help them know the truth because the truth alone can set them free. And my friends, as I look at this passage, it's a reminder to me that God has given to us His Word. And He's given to us His Word because we get to show Him every day in obedience that we truly love Him. One of the grandest men I've ever known was a dear guy named Clem Jackson up in Canada. Clem was raised in a Pentecostal background, and he married a Stoic Presbyterian lady, and they compromised on our church. <laughs> He has a nephew, Phil Jackson, the famous basketball coach in the NBA. Clem was a very humble man, and uh, he'd always pray. And when he prayed with that little Pentecostal fervor, you sense you were in the very presence of God. You know, when this guy prayed, that's the kind of prayer that he had. I finally got a phone call that he was in the hospital, and the doctors had come in and said they probably wouldn't make it till the morning. And so the family said, if you want to see him, this is your last chance. So I rushed down to the hospital, and God gave Clem and I two hours just by ourselves. And as we talked, and Clem knew he wasn't going to wake up in the morning, he didn't talk about himself. He said, now, Ron, at the funeral, I'm going to have this grandson there, and here's what he needs. I've got this daughter, and this is what she needs. So-and-so is going to be there, and this is what they need. And for two hours, we talked, we read the scriptures, And his concern was about all these people that are going to be his funeral. There was not one word that was said about him. I remember leaving. The family came in. It was time for me to go. And so I prayed with Clem. And I stood at the foot of his bed as I was getting ready to leave. And I said, Clem, I'll come by and see you in the morning. But I said, Clem, if I don't see you in the morning, I'll see you on that morning. I never saw him in the morning. A few hours after I left... His heart went into an attack. And they, the professionals came in and they scooted the family out in the hallway. And finally they could do nothing for Clem and he was gone. And, and they said the, they invited the family to come back in and see their grandfather and father. 
And as I told the family, I said, you know, your dad, I'm not sure he died. <laughs> I think he just finished the race. <laughs> he just finished the race that God had given to him. And my friends, the truth, and only the truth, can set you free in a moment like that. And I challenge us as we go today to take the Word of God and to recognize that's exactly what it is, the Word of God. And allow the Father who loves us more than we ever dream to speak in our words, His words into our hearts, to draw us closer to Him and experience all the freedom that He wants for our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you did not leave us here on earth struggling. But through the Word of God, you have given us all the knowledge that we need to know you, to love you, and to please you in all that we do. Father, we're here because we want to know you better. But also we're here, Father, with issues in each one of our hearts. Maybe there's some long-term bitterness in, in our heart. Maybe a jealous attitude or, or an episode that's happened that's put us in enmity with someone else recently. Maybe it's a, a critical attitude we've had, Lord, towards someone. Father, you know what that darkness is. And yet, Lord, you are the light of the world. And we pray that the light of the world might shine into our hearts, expose that darkness so that we might take that area of defilement and cleanse it by the power of your word. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that takes the word of God and uses it to cleanse us, to know you, and to trust you. And Father, I pray that maybe there's someone here today who's wondering, am I really a true believer? Lord, as I, as I pray this prayer, may they pray to you right now and say, Lord Jesus... Thank you for dying for me. Lord Jesus, forgive me and make me your child. Oh, Lord, help me to live for you and to obey you in all that I do. Oh, Father, teach us your truth, and may your truth set us free. Oh, we pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.